Hello, and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Glad you're with us. Reports from the Homeland Security Secretary say the Biden administration has cleared the controversial border camp in Del Rio, Texas, where 15,000 Haitian migrants were housed in squalid conditions, many of them living under a bridge. No matter what and no matter whether those migrants have been removed, the stain on the U.S. and the Biden administration remains. A host of allies have castigated the president for his Trumpist policy of deporting these migrants, most of whom were trying to escape both the assassination of the country's president and a 7.2 scale earthquake. They came to Mexico by various means, but their treatment has outraged black people in the U.S., engendering criticism from the Congressional Black Caucus and countless activists, both Haitian and black American. At the root of the brutal treatment of Haitians and other people seeking to enter the U.S. is a broken, failed immigration system on top of a draconian policy adopted in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Although President Biden has rightly taken responsibility, and I emphasize rightly taken responsibility for what happened at the border, there appears to be an appalling lack of communication among those who are responsible for both border policy and the policy toward Haiti itself. How else to explain the sudden resignation of the U.S. envoy to Haiti? Daniel Foote pulled no punches in explaining he quit because he could not abide the treatment of Haitians in Del Rio. Here are his words, quote, I will not be associated with the United States inhumane, counterproductive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees and illegal immigrants to Haiti, a country where American officials are confined to secure compounds because of the dangers posed by armed gangs in control of daily life. End quote. That's right. The U.S. is sending poor Haitian people back to a country where armed gangs rule large patches of both city and countryside. How do we as Americans tolerate this? Even worse, how do we tolerate this from a president we voted for overwhelmingly? If the Republicans were sane, they'd present a viable alternative. But they're not, and they don't. I am so personally outraged by this, I kept thinking that black folks might stay home from the midterm elections next year and thereby concede, or cede that is, control of both the House and the Senate to the GOP. For the present, the Homeland Security boss announces the clearing of the Del Rio camp as if it was some brilliant tactical move by the DHS. Are they the ones? who put border control agents on horseback and let them herd Haitians like they were herding cattle? At the very least, the United States should have offered the coronavirus vaccine to all of those 15,000 Haitian people as a gesture of American humanity. We do have some to spare, don't we? I don't mean humanity. I mean vaccines. I don't know if we have any humanity to spare. Regardless, there will be calls to fix our broken immigration system, yet little will change because of partisan bickering. Joe Biden says the cowboys on horseback who cursed at the migrants and in some cases used reins in a threatening manner 
will be made to suffer the consequences. He says, quote, it's simply not who we are. I beg to differ. I think it's exactly who we are and what we have become. Isn't it true that we elected a president who referred to Haiti and other nations as blank hole countries? And here comes a new presidency empowered by black people. And what do we get? Of all the Trump policies Biden could have jumped, he kept the policy that deported tens of thousands of Haitians. In doing so, he either shot his own party in the foot or made a new generation of progressives who will not get fooled again. For shame, Joe Biden, you're right to take the weight. The only thing I can say is do better, do much, much better. Up next, the Arizona audit that didn't turn out the way some people expected. This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Well, the Arizona audit that many called a sham has been released. Surprisingly, it showed that not only did Joe Biden win Maricopa County, the state's largest, he actually got more votes than the official count and Trump got fewer. This is a damning humiliation of Trump and his Stop the Steal crew, just like last week's pitiful rally in D.C. But wait, this troll isn't done yet. First, he argued that the results actually showed he won. This is typical Trump, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. The result, according to Donald Trump, is what I say it is. And so his minions spin failure as a reason for even more failure. Because you see, it's not just about trying to flip the results of an election that's almost a year old. It's now about controlling the way elections are run and even who can vote and how. They're now trying to tell the American people they're doing all this to speak to their concerns about the conduct of the election. And who stoked those fears despite losing in court dozens of times? Why it's Sydney released the crack in Powell. Mike, come to my convention if you want to see my evidence, Lindell. And of course, Rudy, Four Seasons Giuliani. In other words, Arizona is the latest in a series of losses that would have made the 1962 New York Mets look like world beaters. And they're not done. Both Trump and his minions know that if his supporters control the levers of power, they can control who wins elections. Texas, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin are all either reviewing or investigating the results of last year's election. I repeat, last year's election. All this at the behest of a sore loser who has been taught from childhood that you can always spin a loss into a win. What's astonishing, as I've said before, is the degree to which people who ought to know better buy into the lie. Last week, the New York Times published a story that said the Trump campaign 
new claims of election fraud regarding Dominion voting machines and Smartmatic, the software company, were false. Trump's lawyers went ahead and alleged the fraud anyway. They came up, this came up, by the way, in court papers regarding a defamation lawsuit brought by a former Dominion employee. The campaign, according to the court papers, fact-checked the allegations, yet sat on the results as Powell, Giuliani, and others smeared the two companies with bizarre and outlandish charges. Remember the involvement of George Soros and Venezuela in last year's balloting? Taken together, these blatant attempts to undermine American democracy should result in criminal charges being leveled against some of the participants. Instead, we have a cross between vaudeville and Alice in Wonderland, and all to satisfy the ego of a self-made man in love with his creator. And what of his opposition? Is it enough to simply decry this nonsense and, and then run on not being one of the perpetrators? How many more Marjorie Taylor Greens, Lauren Boebert's, Matt Gates's, or Andrew Clyde's have to get elected before the Democratic Party grows a pair and fights to win? You see, folks, progressive ideas and values have never been needed like they are today. Does anybody, for example, seriously think Bernie Sanders would deport several thousand Haitians or let them sleep, that is, under a bridge? or not forcibly counter the lies that Trump and his people promote about last year's election? I'll wait. And finally, the head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention overrides her own board. About what? Stay with us. This is The Intersection. Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. Booster! Booster! Who gets the booster? If there's one thing we know about COVID-19, is that it is not predictable. The same seems to hold true at the CDC, the Centers for, Con for Disease Control and Prevention. Last week, an advisory committee of the agency recommended booster shots for a wide range of Americans, up to about 10 million, but specifically excluded healthcare workers, teachers, and others whose work might put them at risk. This put the committee at odds with the Food and Drug Administration, which recommended boosters for all high-risk workers. Enter the head of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She took the highly unusual step of overruling her own advisory committee. In doing so, she put the CDC squarely in the corner of President Joe Biden, who was taking heat for being too far in front of the regulatory process. It's true that a boss like Dr. Walensky deciding to override her own advisory committee is highly unusual. Yet, there's a larger issue here, and it should not be ignored. Although many Americans don't follow these issues too closely, given the controversy regarding 
vaccine hesitancy, and outright rejection. The optics of disunity in the front lines of the fight against COVID is a problem. The CDC and FDA are bureaucracies. They may not understand how their policies and squabbles work with everyday Americans. I, for one, have family and friends who were totally confused about the rules and regulations regarding vaccines and mask wearing for a start. Keep in mind, those rules are sometimes different from state to state, city to city. That confusion breeds distrust and ultimately resistance to doing what the government tells you. Some people working in healthcare, for example, and this is just one example, they're waiting until the last possible moment to get vaccinated. I know people who are doing that. The last possible moment. In other words, if the city or state or wherever they work sets a deadline of, let's say, September 30th, they'll wait to September 29th or even September 30th to go out and get vaccinated. Now, in some cases, it is either get vaccinated or lose their jobs. Many people don't know that the Pfizer vaccine is fully approved and no longer an emergency approved vaccine. All this is the definition of confusion. And then when the CDC squabbles with its own committee and the FDA, it creates more pathways to reject the vaccine. And not just the people who may be eligible for the booster. There are media out there who, just like with the 2020 election, make their money off negativity toward the vaccine and those who promote its use. There are plenty of people who will tell you they know folks who had both vaccinations and still caught COVID anyway. Others say there's no scientific evidence, for example, that mask wearing stops or even slows the spread of the virus. That's why the people at the top of the scientific and medical food chain need to speak with one voice about vaccine, boosters, and mask wearing. Politicians also need to get their act together and create and promote uniform standards to fight the virus. I know this won't happen because there are some states whose leaders are sacrificing their constituents in the name of so-called freedom. A recent article in the Washington Post says doctors are almost as confused as the general public, having to revise guidance a day after issuing it. In New York City, a vaccine mandate has been halted by the courts. So who are just plain folks supposed to believe? Back to booster shots for a minute. Are they morally justifiable when sub-Saharan Africa has a 2% vaccination rate? Some say no that vaccine-rich countries have an obligation to the poor, even if they're not in their own country. And by the way, some countries, some well-to-do rich countries, do have large numbers of poor people who are not yet vaccinated. But when it comes to sub-Saharan Africa, I agree. There does need to be more effort put forward by the West to try and get people vaccinated. They could have, and I said this earlier, they could have vaccinated those Haitians 
that were living in Del Rio, Texas under a bridge. They could have done that whether they deported them afterward or not. And don't think for a moment I agree that they should have been deported. There is, I believe, an obligation, a worldwide obligation to the poor. But I also think that people in high-risk jobs should be offered the booster shot to keep themselves safe. The West should be able to chew gum and walk at the same time, right? The thing is, right now, it just doesn't seem like it. I want to end this episode with a quick tribute to the great Melvin Van Peebles, who died last week at the age of 89. I remember when his groundbreaking film, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, came out. Not only did the film galvanize young people like me at the time, but his promotional poster, rated X by an all-white jury, made perfect sense. Long story short, my brother Clayton wrote one of the few positive reviews of Sweetback, and he and Mr. Van Peebles became friends. I was introduced to him soon afterward. He broke ground not just in movie making, but also in the world of finance. I felt privileged to be able to interview him, as well as spend time with him in his Midtown apartment. He was truly, truly one of a kind. One day, my friend Albert and I biked with Melvin Van Peebles through Central Park. Those of you who know New York City knows that, know that there is a pathway that's closed on weekends. I assume it's still closed on weekends. And you can do a six-mile bike ride through Central Park if you take that long route. Well, the toughest part of that long route was called Snake Hill. It's one of those hills that seems like it's going on for, it's not really all that bad, but you really do have to exert yourself to, in fact, get over Snake Hill. So, Melvin Van Peebles rode with us halfway up the hill, with us huffing and puffing. And he suddenly turned to us and said, I'll see you guys later and took off. We couldn't believe it. By the time we got to the point where we started, he was sitting on a bench, the picture of contentment, smoking his trademark cigar. He said to us, what took you guys so long? Rest in peace, Melvin Van Peebles. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Lund. Until we meet again, please stay well.